one of the, the things I see a lot in the design space as well is these self rating scales on the side of resumes where they'll put down the skills and then they'll, they'll give themselves a self rating. Uh, it, we st I still see a lot of that. I still see a lot of these and uh, it's it just, it just, it, you're, you're it, it's just a waste of real estate space. I mean, that that's, I look at this and, and, and I mean, there's no value from it. Uh, Self-indulgent quite frankly. And it just, I mean, you know, we have, often you have a good laugh at somebody who is, you know, doesn't come across as the most humble, you know, approach when you're, you know, see somebody that tends across the board and you go, okay, this is clearly someone who lacks self-awareness and humility. So probably not going to be a fit to work with anyways, but that's, that's a huge waste. Hello, everyone. My name is Kirill, and this is UX Career with Kirill V Podcast. Today I'm talking to Bradley Clark, the Director of Talent Acquisition at Article, a direct-to-consumer furniture manufacturer out of Canada. We'll talk about Brad's journey, uh, career journey and his entrepreneurial journey as well. We talk about uh, career gaps and how companies should be looking at these traveling experiences. We talk about biggest challenges in the recruitment industry and also Brad shares a lot of actionable advice on resumes, uh, how to stand out from everybody else by hustling, and some interesting thoughts about UX bootcamps. Uh, and obviously, a lot more. So, hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Brad. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm pretty good, pretty good. Pretty pumped and was excited to thinking about this conversation. Uh, a person with your accomplishments and your background and your experiences, definitely, I'm sure you'll have a lot of things uh, of value to share with the audience and uh, people can learn from you and maybe figure out and find about some tips and tricks and hacks uh, from the from your point of view and how they can um, overcome <laughs> the, the blockers and the screeners and other um, uh, friction points that the recruitment industry adds to the process. Sure. Okay, so um, let's start with uh, with your story. So I'm, uh, the reason for for this particular section uh, of the conversation is so people can understand the the diversity of your experiences. Uh, they can really kind of feel you more and feel your story from the human point of view, human being point of view. And um, I want to actually I want to touch a bit more on some of the st chapters in your career path because they're frankly quite. Uh, uh, curious to me and <laughs> I would love to learn more. Uh, so it looks like you had a, you had a really diverse background with uh, working with many, many clients as a consultant for one side or as a, as a part of the team of the company. So I'm curious to hear kind of your key steps in how you got to Article where you are uh, working today. And uh, also kind of you can touch on the parallel path of your entrepreneurial uh, nature and how you dabbled in different um, uh, endeavors trying to solve problems that you observed. Okay, that's uh, so okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, that is, that's, yeah, I like it. Uh, and, and so, I mean, so start off with I, I got into recruitment uh, in the mid two thousands, and so I found myself working for a recruitment agency. Uh, that's a tech recruitment agency. Uh, that worked out. Uh, it was good. I, I liked. it, learned a lot. Uh, just kind of. You know, and about almost five years into that experience, uh, that entrepreneurial side of me kind of wanted to kick in and, and decided that, hey, well, this is interesting. Uh, it was 
more transactional than I liked. It didn't give me a chance to solve problems. And, and, and that's one of the things I've realized in my life, kind of look, looking back, is you know, helping people and solving problems are two of the things that have been pretty motivational and just and, you know, part of something I need to do. And it was a little less so on that recruitment agency side. So, uh, well, even though I so left, left on good terms, left financially in a good place, took a little time off to reflect and uh, decided that I was going to go on my own and become a consultant. And so started consulting practice up. Uh, well, actually kind of, yeah, wasn't again, wasn't 100% sure, but I ended up uh, getting a contract and then decided that, hey, this is this makes sense. And now I'm on the inside of the recruitment side of things. So more on what's now kind of commonly branded as talent acquisition. And uh, so part of that, so that, that journey, I mean, I did this uh, consulting practice for like, about eight, nine years uh, in total there. And so end up working for some big brands. So like some recognizable brands like Best Buy, Boeing, Plenty of Fish, uh, Samsung. That was with the Samsung R&D lab here in Vancouver. Uh, as well as working for a number of small organizations. I mean, some of these could be early, you know, just got a uh, first check, a seed seed round, starting to scale, starting to build. Uh, but primarily my focus really was on on hiring and building like high performance tech teams. And, and that, that stretches into the, often the design space, uh, hiring either teams designers or designers as well. Um, and so, again, this was, Really interesting journey. This was I, I was enjoying this, uh, and and then the pandemic hit, and and all of a sudden, you know, I realized. Uh, and so recruitment was interesting. Is is everyone stopped hiring? There was about a month and a half. It was just a massive pause, and everyone was like, "What's going to happen? Is the sky falling? Is is all hiring just frozen? No, companies just didn't know what to do. Uh, everyone. This is just when everyone kind of got sent home. You know, offices closing down. You know, go work from home. We'll figure things out. Um, and at that stage, you know, it was like, okay, it's time to make a bit of a pivot here. Uh, even though I was acting as a on-site consultant, basically kind of parachuting in and either owning the process and building up this, or uh, it was still slightly outside. So I knew I'd be the first one, the first one out, you know, so to speak, as, as easy to cut as a consultant. Uh, and at the same time, though, is is I know in, in Vancouver, article was. Uh, was hiring and they're, they're growing and they're just consistently growing. And, and, you know, they've, I've, I knew a little bit about them and, and I knew they were, you know, I kind of founded by software engineers, not found by furniture people. And they had a good reputation in town. I, I previously tried poaching some people from them who didn't want to leave. And so that was usually my good indicator. Uh, and, and so through some conversations, um, I found myself basically joining the article and starting the talent acquisition function from, basically from near scratch uh building a team up and and helping grow the organization uh and then through the pandemic we went through some really big growth years uh, and so it was definitely so this was well and then at the same time while well, this is happening previous to this uh there was there's some gaps in some of the technology space which uh which we noticed and, and so a friend of mine who was also in the recruitment space you know, we were talking about how how communication to candidates had changed, uh, and so one of the things we noticed was email was response rates for email was slowing down. People were leaving LinkedIn; it was less active, uh, and so we found ourselves and and the competition for candidates was quite fierce. Uh, and we wanted to text and text messaging more and more was becoming the preferred channel, so to speak. People weren't answering cold calls; people weren't picking up their phones. Too much spam, too much spam out there. It just 
but using your cell phone wasn't also the right channel because that's a personal line. Uh, that is, it doesn't connect to any of your tools you use. Uh, and then also from a legality standpoint, it's it's just you're you know in North America, you're actually not legally able to do to can span and TCPA compliance reasons. So if you want to text using your cell phone wasn't the right tool, and we quickly realized that there, that there was a few tools out there. They were big and they were cumbersome. And we thought, hey, can we, can we build something? And so uh, as, a, as a side hustle, you know, kind of nights and weekends, we started a, a small scrappy startup, uh, spending a lot of time on whiteboards and ideation and, and, and going through this. And uh, so we, we co-founded a startup called Rectex, uh, which is been... Uh, now at this stage, I mean, we've been experiencing kind of 3x growth the last couple of years in a row. We've managed to stay bootstrapped, uh, but really we're solving our own problem. And so that was the interesting thing was, was, you know, we got a chance to, you know, as first time founders, you know, kind of dog food our own product. Uh, you know, we built a team of consultants, kind of a, a global distributed team around the world as freelancers uh, working asynchronously. Uh, you know, which has been interesting. We've had people in, in Asia, across Europe, uh, some in North America, just, and we've built the product that, uh, that well, obviously we want to use, but apparently the other people want to use as well due to, due to the growth we're seeing. So, so, I've, and so currently right now, so that's less of my day, my, my day-to-day is, is article. That's the hat I wear during the day. My role is more advisory at this stage for Rectex, my business partner, co-founder, he runs the day-to-day of it. Uh, but I, I get to see things from different perspectives, like I said. And so I, I, you know, article kind of mid-sized company. I've worked for big companies. Same time, I also, you know, I've co-founded this bootstrap, scrappy little startup. Uh, and so it's it's interesting because I mean, there's there's definitely some some lessons which go across all of these organizations. But there's also things which are really specific to companies at certain stages and how they hire, who they need to hire, what that looks like. So. So that, that was a long answer. So I apologize. So hopefully, hopefully listeners here aren't bored, bored to death yet. So frankly, it's fascinating, fascinating because I'm also, I guess, one of those weird types who can, who have, uh, who can prioritize time to work on something else besides their day job, sacrificing some other things of your life, sorry, because it's always going to really fight for, 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 for the time. So I'm fascinated how you can combine both uh, because uh, Rectext uh, seems like a very interesting solution to the problem that you're familiar with. So it's definitely, I'm sure it strikes uh, your own nerves and uh, scratches your own itch and all other similar uh, phrases that you can use yeah. um, eating your own uh, dog food. <laughs> uh, so it probably helps you persevere especially for a long time and sometimes especially during the early stages of, of uh, launching a startup and and building it when there is not enough traction so did you manage to get article on board <laughs> as a client interesting <laughs> enough I've, I've tried to keep the world separate uh mm. and the and so I've, I've left those spaces there uh and right now the applicant tracking system we use at article does not integrate to rectex oh. uh in the future, that that might happen, but again, I've just left those spaces separate for the most part. It it it, it sometimes it drives me nuts a little bit because like, wow, this is a tool that could really help my team out. Uh, exactly. I I also want to make sure that I'm, you know, always doing things right, you know, and, all, and, and not and not mixing these worlds too much. So yeah, it sounds like it's almost like you're excluding 
your employer from getting the benefits of using your service. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, I mean, we're having talks about entering again to the ATS that uh, that we use currently. Hmm. And if that happens, then uh, then I'll let the, I'll, I'll I'll make that decision. I'll let the team kind of decide how they want to pursue that. I'll, I'll remove myself to yeah, definitely take out to take out my bias from it. But yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that does drive me a little bit crazy. It's like, wow, this is you know so applicable to some of the challenges we face day to day of running a talent acquisition team. So that's true. From my observations, actually, um, startups and products um, who that are built by people who who are the primary users, so it's like their own pain point. Um, definitely have a better chance at um, solving the problem the right way. Uh, so I'm sure that, yeah, it's just a matter of time and uh, other companies will find more value and uh, will join you as a, yeah. as a client list. I think so. It's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the HR space especially has had a lot of people parachute in kind of to try and save the day with solutions mm -hmm. that, again, they really haven't come from that space. And, and it's... Uh, exactly. Yeah, it leads to a lot of bloated and unusable products at times, unfortunately. So, I'm, yeah. but I'm sure I'm sure people in finance probably say the same thing. Other people who you know, wear different hats, where you know this kind of savior savior product managers come in if there's or founders come in with a solution, which is maybe not to a problem that doesn't really exist. That's true, and yeah, I, I can I can easily see how this uh, this uh, have been happening uh, when uh, somebody with a business idea. Just because it's a, such a huge market and lots of problems to solve in the HR space, uh, things just is a great idea to try to solve it. But they don't really know. They're not the insider. They don't know it's the first hand, and maybe don't do enough uh, good research to understand the problems and the and the needs um, comparing to yourself as as an insider. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're bang on. Cool. Okay. So next one, next question I had for you is: I noticed that on LinkedIn profile, you have uh, one of your jobs, so to say, <laughs> uh, is explore and raconteur. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can you elaborate a bit more? Because I've heard mixed uh, opinions, not from a recruitment world, but from, I guess, candidates and people who had some gaps in their employment that it's a it's almost like a red flag for for lots of companies for recruiters for hiring managers so but here you you don't hide it you even like you're it feels like you're proud of it can you elaborate a bit more on how companies perceive gaps in employment so yeah so i mean i i think i mean personally uh taking that bit of a sabbatical to travel was amazing and then, and then, yeah, I mentioned it as, yeah, exploring raconteur just as a, as a cheeky way to say, you know, hey, I was out traveling. Uh, and and that, that's really what, again, that was that time I took off in between leaving an agency and then and then going down my, my own personal path of entrepreneurship. Um, but as far as employers, I mean, to be honest, if this is something which I would say the candidates should also look at is if that employer is judging that in a negative way, that might not be the employer you want to work with. So rather, I mean, to be honest, if I look at someone and, and they took a gap off and, and maybe that gap was, you know, travel or just getting some time to decompress or spending time with family for or dealing with health challenges or education, there's a, there's a million good reasons to take a break, uh, of which I don't need to know any of them, to be honest. So they, if they do want to share it, you know, that's that's great. And, and I'm happy to learn about them as a person. But but ultimately, uh, you know, that's not something which I mean. For me, I ever would, you know, like uh, look negatively upon a on someone. In fact, I'd say that's probably a really good use of, 
of time when, when you're being, you know, taking control of your career and taking that time off you need for yourself as a person. I say the same thing to my team as well. I mean, like we never judge anyone in that way. But I think as an industry, I think it's shifting. And I think people are now, you know, because I agree in the past, that would have been something people would have tried to hide or something else. Uh, I think people are finally getting it. I think organizations are finally getting it. Uh, I think there's still some late to the party, but they're going to miss out on good people. And I think that's going to self-correct itself as a result of that. But as a candidate, if I was wearing my candidate hat and, and you know, if I was interacting for a recruiter who has seen this as a negative, I would be really kind of curious what type of culture they have like and what they actually value like do they value like are they looking just for me then to be a bum in a seat you know who's there punching a clock in and out or do they value me as a human Mm -hmm. yeah you're totally right it's almost like yeah it's it's like it's like dating right when it's not like one-way street so both sides have power or should have power uh, and should uh, have uh, freedom ideally and um, confidence to 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 make the call if it's the right uh, choice if it's the right fit it's not just kind of a bunch of people applying to companies and they're just like picky selecting um, based on their own criteria which usually or not usually but often biased um, but yeah it's, it should be a more balanced relationship and I, I truly believe in this yeah I think for things to work long term it has to be you know, if, if you're going to actually have it, you know, um, and if, I mean, I understand, I mean, I mean, the market's changed and I know not everyone has that ability to make it balanced because they may, especially if you're saying, you know, entering a new field or something else, you may not be able to be as picky, but if, if you are in that, I would keep looking, you know, even if you did accept that job, you know, where you're, you're a little, you know, you know, to keep exploring it and, and maybe shift the mindset from job seeking to job shopping. That's makes sense. And, and, I think people should casually also be shopping because that puts them in a better position to actually, rather than, hey, I need a job to pay my bills, to actually say, actually, this job better aligns with, you know, this work and the people aligns with what I care about and makes more sense. And so they can make that change on their terms. And so it it kind of creates a, a better power dynamic between the two. So you can actually, and it's better for employers because you can have a real conversation with that person. They can give you answers, which they're actually saying versus I th- I'm going to tell them an answer, which I think they want to hear. You know, and, and, and you interview people and you can tell that time, you can tell when someone's going through a tough time and they're trying to say what they think is the best thing to say versus actually saying what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or not, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And I'm just kind of, I can see how, especially during these weird times uh, in the market, more and more people will will say something like, yeah, I have to get get a, at least any job. Like I have to pay my bills like yesterday, so which kind of really definitely messes up the balance um, of powers. And yeah, puts it's kind of it's really yeah. Every situation is unique, so it's hard to to give any I guess hard recommendations. More like a guideline to be more respectful of your own priorities and values and uh, situation. And if yeah, I, I I completely agree. If if I had like a, a gap in my employment and I went to, to decompress even like mentally and travel, um, and then a company would would see it as a red flag, I I would I would agree. Like it's probably not the right fit for from the candidate point of view as well. Uh, speaking of this travel, uh, quick question: What's what was your favorite destination? Oh geez, uh, it's a long list of countries. It, it was a long list. Yeah, I was. I think the one which I knew the least about and surprised me the most was Turkey. 
Um, and I'm a bit of a history geek. Uh, just a, actually, I'm a bit of a geek in general, including history. Uh, and so, like the the amount of Roman ruins throughout Turkey was absolutely incredible. So the, all these uh, sites of antiquity and the access to them was really great. Uh, food was amazing. People were were incredibly friendly, uh, and it, it felt like the whole traveling experience felt very authentic. It didn't feel like it was designed for me being there as a tourist. It felt like I was just happening and I happened to be there versus if you go some of the places, which is a little more say mature in their tourist industry. Uh, yeah. It felt less manufactured, I guess, if that makes sense. So, I mean, it's, it's still, you know, again, this is, take this as a grain of salt. I mean, it may, that was 10 years ago. Now I was there. So oh, that's who true. knows, maybe, maybe it's changed <laughs> a lot, but uh, that, that was definitely one of the biggest surprises. I thought that was amazing. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next question that I had for you. Uh, thinking about your... Yeah, let's focus on, on your role at Article. Um, I'm curious to, to, to understand better your, your uh, I guess, reality and what you have to do with as, as an as a, as a employee there. And like generally, I think it's gonna should be more applicable to the uh, more more patterns about uh, the whole industry. But what are the biggest challenges right now that uh, recruitment industry is facing? Besides, obviously, probably the influx of resumes and applications because more people are losing jobs. But thinking from the bigger, like what really keeps you up at night? I'm I'm curious to learn more about this. Sure. Um, the one one of the I mean, there, there definitely is uh, an influx of candidates coming in, and, that, and that, that's a challenge we do face. The thing that keeps me up at night is how we can be more transparent for people on why they should or shouldn't work with us up front. And so there's, there's a lot of like recruitment people out there or, or talent acquisition kind of professionals who are, oh, I want to have more people apply. I want to have more people apply. And I think actually the opposite is I want to have less people apply who are more of a potential, like like a uh, a viable candidate for us. And, and by viability, I mean someone who is not just has like the skill sets we're looking at and, and the ability to grow into the role, uh, but also just has a, a, a curiosity and interest in us. And so I look at that and that's one of the things which keeps me up because thinking about is, you know, how are those people, how do we ensure that the people who are going to be successful here know about us are interested in us and how do people who may not be happy or successful here also know that they that that's okay that they know you know and, and i think some of the some of the best organizations do a really good job of that uh where you know like just their culture may not be somewhere you're going to succeed and that's something bigger which keeps me up at night is saying okay how do we how do we make that very clear in a simple enough accessible way that everyone can understand you know hey i'm gonna be happy here or i'm not gonna be happier and that's okay because i'll be happy somewhere else uh so that that keeps me up and then the other one is is the candidate experience and, and this is it does layer on on the the volume of applications that we get i mean it's crunched some numbers recently i mean um like so for context wise articles about a thousand person company uh, primarily hiring across North America, though we do have some hiring in Vietnam. Uh, we got just shy of 80,000 applications last year. Uh, so 80,000 applications, we hired uh, 430-ish people. Now, not all those people came from applications. Some were referrals, some were headhunted, 
and so like you do the math there, like we're not in the hiring business, we're in the rejection business. <laughs> That's true. Like, and, and, and for us, we're, we're consumer brand, like we're a brand where someone could not only be applying for a job in the future, they could be buying our, our product. And so, you know, the, the impact, if, if we, you know, kind of mess this up, it's not just felt from like, oh, hey, they're not going to apply to us again or tell their friends not to apply. But clearly the, the impact could be is they may not be interested in our product. And uh, and so like we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to focus on our communications to make them, you know, to show that we care, to show that it matters to us that they did take the time to apply. They did take the time to or to interview with us. Uh, but we're still trying to find ways to get faster communication and more specific communication so people understand why they were rejected because again of that eight near 80,000 of the 400 we hire uh, you know we're saying no a lot and it's and the reality is we can't say you know we're not able to always specifically say why no but we want to find better smarter ways we can so that that stuff keeps me up at night yeah, yeah, I can I can understand. I I empathize with with this problem because I've seen this from the hiring side as well, actually many times, that just because of the volume, uh, often it's impossible to to spend like human time to 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 write uh, even like the rejection letter. So it's like lots of automation comes into play, and then when they're like candidates can feel it. Uh, as a Kenyan, you can feel that there is a robot, like just a, a template that was uh, sent to you uh, that you didn't get to the next stage. So it's definitely a bummer. I, I've heard lots of frustrated candidates complain about this, that it uh, ruins trust and definitely makes you feel like you're just, yeah, you're not important. And um, you just uh, would be a small cog. And like it definitely ruins the, the candidate experience. Uh, yeah, totally I, true. I, I think so... What we found, so again, we've we've recently been working. We've actually been, you know, exploring some automations, uh, and but what's what's the one thing we've been focused on is, so I mean, a lot of people think there's this kind of like ATS bot or monster that exists there, which you know filters out resumes and does all these amazing things. I, I've I've yet to work with this ATS. Uh, that, that that that's a LinkedIn myth which keeps getting circulated around. I mean, real humans are. So when you, when, you, when you apply, you have to fill in some application questions. Those application questions can then trigger a rejection based upon those because you may not – basically, you're, you're finding out like you don't meet our criteria. And so what most organizations are doing is typically that will send off a generic email, which you won't know why you're rejected. You'll say, but you, you, but you tick on these boxes. So maybe you're unable to work in a certain country or you lack a certain uh, – training skill set or something else but there's something there which you just lack the basic threshold to be employed in this job uh but then you get a generic email that says hey thanks for applying you know but you weren't selected and and that and that sucks that that doesn't feel very great uh we've been working on, on trying to have specific emails for each of those different potential rejections explaining mm. why they're rejected oh that's so, good which is it, it's it's still not to the personal level but at least that way there you know there was there was a closing loop and just in case if you Let's say you tick that button wrong, whatever reason. So in your application process, you've been filling a ton of applications, you click the wrong one. We explain that, hey, if this was a mistake, please reply and please fill that out differently because this is what, you know, like uh, the, the trigger was for it. And so not our, our, our what we found in our experience is so we, we do a uh, like a candidate feedback survey for everyone who applies and we look at our scores. And so since having these automations, 
about 29% of applicants are automatically rejected through these automations roughly right now. So it's, it's, a, it's a large volume since we just, and we just started these in August. Um, and then again, each of these having different specific emails to tell you exactly why you weren't. But our candidate feedback score has improved. Our communication has gone, has improved. We've reduced our first communication by five times. So we're communicating way faster to candidates. Uh, and the feedback from them is way more positive. Everyone, of course, wants personalized touch, but at least they know why. And I think at least I was there to say, okay, well, yeah, I know I didn't make it. And the feedback we get often is people can write a little response, says exactly that and saying that, hey, I, I realized I didn't explain why, but hey, but at least thanks for letting me know. And, you know, I didn't make it. And then also the reason why, at least some, from a basic level. So we're, we're, we're trying to do that in an intelligent human way. I don't think we're, it's, it's still something we're, we're still working on. Um, and it's still, there's some room to figure this out, but the, the pain of the job seekers is real. And I think my, my team empathizes with, with that, that reality. Like it's, it's hard just getting a ton of rejections. And so we want to find a way to let people know that it's, you know, where possible, at least so they can understand a bit more behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really glad to hear that you're trying to, I guess, uncover the reasons behind the rejection, because this is one, probably one of the top three biggest frustrations candidates have that I've heard. And I've been there myself, frankly. Uh, and it's just so frustrating because as a person who, and especially as a, as a like companies should, like usually companies look for candidates who, who want to grow and evolve and like progress, right? So this is like essential to grow as a candidate, as a professional, to understand what's missing in your in your profile or like your skills or expertise or experience, so you can improve and maybe apply later, right? So, but yeah, the vast majority of the companies just don't want to do this uh, or don't have the capabilities, like the technical capabilities to do this. But the the concern I had from com from companies about uh, I guess adding more clarity on the reasons why a candidate got rejected is more uh, was more about uh, the fear that this candidate or candidates uh, will game the system and reapply and select the right answer so the screener doesn't get them uh, doesn't get this, uh, doesn't screen them out. Uh, it, is it a risk? It, yeah, is it a real it, risk. It, 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 it's a risk, but it's a it's a. It's a bigger risk tarnishing your brand by not communicating properly. I agree. Because people will, I mean, we get it. We have people who go, okay, hey, this is why I was rejected. I'm just going to tick this box differently. But we, we that's why we have phone screens and they get screened out. And so, it, it, I mean, you don't game. It, it just kind of wastes their time. And, and you know, fortunately, wastes ours potentially a little bit. But um, it's it's that's nominal compared to not hearing anything. I mean, number one, I mean, base level is just like at least know you got rejected. Like close that loop. Mm -hmm. the, exactly. the much more advanced. I mean, the much more advanced yeah. is that hopefully give a uh, some specifics on why you yeah. know. And but realistically, like you're going to have to use some technology to do that. Like it, it's just the number game doesn't make sense. You would not be able to come close to having you know you'd have to have a, a vast army of people just constantly writing yeah. emails and, and it, just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be feasible. Yeah, I agree. And ghosting is also really probably the worst when there's no, just silence and which happens a lot, even like even today, I keep hearing of those, uh, yeah, scary, I guess, experiences, really frustrating experiences um, all the time. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't understand actually why, 
yeah, maybe because they don't have technology like just to, to automate this a bit and they there's just like one person uh, recruiter in-house and they have to deal with hundreds of emails every day. Maybe that's the case when it just doesn't scale and that's uh, the, the result of this uh, bottleneck. That's, that's part of it. One of the big things we've been focused on like uh, is is our capacity. And, and one of the things I've been a big believer in is that, again, similar to like agile software development, like you wouldn't work on 100 features and at once and have them all at 10%. You work on 10 features, get them 100%, work on the next 10, et cetera. And, and I think there's too many companies which are trying to post every job at once. And as a result of that, that and so uh, we've been like very uh, mindful on, and so we've, we've built this new capacity model in, of limiting the number of jobs which recruiters can work on per recruiter. And as a result of that, it's actually much faster. There's a better candidate experience, a better hiring manager experience. But one of the things we had to do is, we and this is I'm actually really you know we're still again we're still evolving and tweaking this but we we looked a lot at lean manufacturing uh, we looked a lot at agile and and one of the things which inspired us was this t-shirt sizing uh, for complexity because it's not just capacity it's capacity times complexity uh, and so that's something which we've been operating with and so we have this t-shirt sizing model and, and t-shirt sizing for people don't know is is just the ability to say in a simple term, what, how complex is, is a, you know, on the on software side, how complex is a feature built? So if it's a medium-sized t-shirt, it's kind of an average. If it's small or extra large, et cetera. So you can imagine it's just a, a really quick communication tool to say how tough something's going to be to do. And so we do the same thing. And that capacity model then has like a numerical value to that t-shirt size. And so let's say if someone's working on a number of extra large t-shirts, they can work on fewer than someone's working on a number of smaller t-shirts just due to the complexity of those different jobs. And so that allows us to be more focused because we're not taking on too much, leaving candidates, having a slow process, poor communication internally and externally. And so that's that, that demand, it, it's, it's helped kind of improve all those things, but also like when we go through spiky demands, and this is something that a lot of companies do is they'll go through big hiring and then slow down, big hiring and slow down. And so it smoothed out those those demand spikes by just having like a constant flow, having a backlog, and then we just pick away that backlog, prioritize again. Sim- I mean, all these things have been solved elsewhere. Like, I, I mean, that, that's one of the biggest things I've realized is I don't need to solve any problems. I just need to find someone who's solved in a different industry and bring it over. And so we we, we really try to get a lot of inspiration from the tech space. Wait, so you're using t-shirt sizing for roles you need to fill? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. So you can imagine, like, if you're working on a a director position, that's gonna be a yeah. lot more complex than if you're working on a a junior copywriter. You yeah. know, and so yeah, that's true. And then and that's then there's smart. also if you're hiring if you're hiring multiple headcounts, there's a there's a lesser value to that. So the same jobs open, but you might hire two or three headcounts from that. So let's say you're hiring a team of customer care agents, then that takes up less bandwidth because just one job posting, one manager. Versus if you have to say 10 separate roles, 10 different managers, 10 different departments. And so, uh, yeah, the teacher sizing, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a good tool so far. It's something as, as we matured, I'm, I might, I'm, I'm still trying to find a way that can maybe make this open source for other groups to use and, and take the model and, and learn from, but it's, it's still a little fragile at this stage. It's, I don't think it's, it's not quite, it's not quite shareable yet, but hopefully in the future, I'll find a way to, uh, to get it out there inspire some good cool yeah but i like the idea definitely yeah i can see how this can be a good help uh to manage the bandwidth and the workload uh, for the team yeah 
good question. But, but back to your point, it, it's all these things impact what that candidate experiences. And that's why people get ghosted because recruiters are working on too many roles. They've got too many candidates. People fall through the cracks, even with the best of intentions. And so limiting it speeds, like doing less at once speeds things up and improves all those interactions. Yeah, one last comment on this, and then uh, let's switch to the to the next section. It almost feels like that if if there is ghosting in place for for likely these reasons, when just the person is overloaded with number of jobs or number of tasks and uh, all other stuff, right? It's almost like for me as a candidate, this would be a signal that something is not really working well at the leadership level because they don't really give enough support and resources to the HR team uh, and they overload them or they cannot really prevent this overloading from happening. Uh, this is how I would uh, decode such behavior. You know, that's, that's a great observation. And I think one thing is, which is interesting both ways is Again, if, if you're a candidate, you need to be interviewing the organization, and these are really good, important signals to, to, to look at. At the same time, as a recruiter, we look for signals from candidates during the interview process and how they interact. So not just how they did in the interview, but how those interactions are, how time exactly. their communication was, all these things. And so the interview process is is much more than just the interviews, both ways. And and so but these are really important to pick up on. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was actually on the on the interviewing side when I experienced some candidates leaving not really the best impression when they just ghost you and they don't respond and they don't even send a follow-up, uh, which for me is just yeah, a bare minimum you can do after the conversation, um, just with basic uh, like thank you and uh, looking forward and all that stuff. Uh, definitely better than nothing. And uh, there is actually, yeah, I've, I've seen lots of, uh, one-on-one uh, interviewing advice uh, about the follow-ups and uh, yeah, just kind of the basic etiquette of uh, interviewing. I think it's definitely yeah, it's surprising me why why so many people still don't do this. It's a weird world right now. It's a weird time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move to the next section, which is uh, mm, probably should be packed with a bunch of interesting insights. Speaking of resume. Uh, cover letters, like overall this kind of this part of the interview process. Um, can you maybe share with the audience um, the the red flags, the common mistakes, what works really well, maybe some examples that really stood out from the crowd that uh, you think somebody else could use like as a tactic, as a strategy. Uh, so all this uh, do's and don'ts um, about resumes. Sure. Uh... Okay, so I'll start with the don'ts because I think that's we'll, we'll get these out of the way here. Um, again, th these are more North American centric, so take these with a grain of salt depending on where you're applying because there's different resume uh, kind of protocols and, and best behaviors in different parts of the world. So, but if you're so for North American audience, uh, do you want to include your photo? I, I I don't care what you look like. I don't want to use that. I don't have to have that. I don't, to be honest, and and, and it's interesting because. Specifically for the designs, creative people love sharing their photos. I don't know who loves doing. They must have other creative people who love doing photos, and and uh, but we don't want to see you. We it's it's not part of what should be part of your the process. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of bias which that can lead to. Uh, we we want to remove that as much as possible. So just don't include your photo. It might be a great photo. Have your photo on LinkedIn. That's great, but don't have your resume. Have it on your resume. Uh, one of the, the things I see a lot in the design space as well is 
these self-rating scales on the side of resumes where they'll put down the skills and then they'll, they'll give themselves a self-rating. Uh, st- I still see a lot of that. I still see a lot of these. And uh, it's it just, it just it, you're, you're, it, it's just a waste of real estate space. I mean, that, that's, I look at this and, and, and I mean, there's no value from it. Uh, self-indulgent, quite frankly. And it just, I mean, you know, we have, often you have a good laugh at somebody who is, you know, doesn't come across as the most humble, you know, approach when you're, you know, see somebody that has tens across the board and you go, okay, this is like, literally someone who lacks self-awareness and humility. So probably not going to be a fit to work with anyways, but that's, that's a huge waste. Um, and so th- those are things, I mean, other than, again, in North America, obviously, there's you know, things not to mention, like, uh, you know, sexual preference, uh, date of birth, religion, status, these things. And, and again, this is just, we know this is usually someone who's applying from outside North America. So it's just, it's important to take the time to understand what the cultural norms are for resumes. Because, again, you, if you're applying in the Middle East or somewhere else, that might be totally relevant and important to have. So put it on there if that's where you're applying, if, you know, in different parts of the world. But for us, I mean, it's... it's we can't make any hiring decisions based upon those things. So just remove it. It feels awkward to see if in North America when we see some of these things. Uh, anything which could age you, I think, is also worth removing. So uh, things like your dates behind school, if it, if it was a while ago, I mean, ageism does exist, unfortunately, in hiring. Uh, so where possible, try to remove it. So on the, on the do side, uh, just keeping things super simple. Just a, a really simple resume. I mean, again, especially as a designer, like I'm looking at this as how can you prioritize what's important? And uh thing I look at this is, you know, and I think, I mean, especially product designers, UX designers, uh, imagine you're a product yourself. You know, in a sense, you're, you're being hired to solve a problem. You, you buy a product, especially like a software product to try and solve a problem. So on the top of Fold, that's it's, that's gonna be the same as like a product landing page. What is it that? What are the benefits? What are you selling by by us hiring you? What is it that you solve, so to speak? And and I think this is something which is, again, rather than thinking like features, which are you know kind of more like responsibilities. Like what are the benefits? And so again, thinking like product language, like features versus benefits. Benefits up front. Say by by hiring me, we're get, you're going to be able to solve these problems. I'm going to be able to do this for you. I'm going to be able to add value this way, um, and and keeping those things focused. You know things which and it's hard because early on in your career, you know, people have a tendency to put down like great communication skills, team player, all these nice things, but there's there's no real value to that. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the same thing when you see job postings. It's the same thing. Job postings put a lot of silliness in there about which is just a waste as well. So, I mean, it, it goes both ways. So I'm not trying to point the finger at candidates, but uh, just remove the fluff, get straight to it. Here's the benefits. Here's why hiring me. Top of fold that first half. By the time I get through the far, first half of that resume, I should say, I won't want to talk to this person. I want to jump on a Zoom call. I want to jump on, the, on a phone. Uh, and then the rest of the resume is just kind of backing up those claims. So, you know, so if you're saying, hey, I can, here's all the stuff I can do. Here's what I've done. Here's the, and, I, and ideally, if you have the ability to, uh, you know, show some of the data behind this, you know, and I think it was, it was Laszlo Bach of uh, formerly the Google uh, SVP of HR. He had this resume formula, which was basically, you know, by doing X and accomplish Y is measured by Z. And having a formula like that in your resume is, is really important. So you can just say, hey, I did this, you know, and, and here's how I did it. And here's how it was measured. If you can show some of that data. You can say, hey, this impacted this many customers. And we tried this experiment or here's what this looks like. So 
data is awesome because if you don't include some of that data, you're assuming the recruiter who's looking at all these resumes knows what your company is. And a lot of people forget that. They say, oh, well, of course you should know this company. Reality is, is, is we don't. You know, the reality is, is, is you need to put down, hey, how big was that company? How many users does that company have? How, how many product releases a year? What does their cycle look like? All those things. Uh, so details, details matter. That, that's the sum of it. Uh, two or more pages is fine. That's, that's totally great. Uh, for people who are new, if you've just graduated and, you know, you're looking to get your foot in the door, maybe did a boot camp or, or you're finishing up university, uh, don't shy away from having non-related experience that especially involves interacting with humans. Like, I love seeing a new grad who says, hey, I worked at McDonald's when I was going to school. Or, hey, I, I worked in retail. Hey, I dealt with humans. It, it, it shows. It shows you're resilient. It shows you can think on your feet. I mean, any of those, it shows you can communicate. And so you, you might want to shy away and hide that experience and say, well, it's not related. And I feel embarrassed because it was my, you know, my, my job I had when I was going to, to uh, university or don't. Those are, those are really valuable. I mean, you don't, you know, it may not be the, t- the first thing you show, but uh, I see some people who try and bear that. And if if I had two people, one who had some work experience, and you know, two resumes hand in hand, you know, graduating the same program, but one person highlighted, you know, they're probably going to get the first call. So the fact they've dealt with humans, I think is really valuable there. Uh, you did mention cover letters. I don't see any value in cover letters. I rarely read cover letters. Uh, I feel bad because people spend a lot of time on a cover letter. I would rather I would rather spend that time. Very few cover letters. If you think you can write a great cover letter, then send it. But most people can't. So spend that time and focus it on your resume. Do a, have a base resume and then customize your resumes for your search. Um, and I think the final thing I'd say for dues is keep track of your resumes. Uh, keep track of where you're applying. I would use it. There's a tool called hunter.co and there's no E in the hunter. So hunter.co. It's a can, it's a Kanban board where you can track your applications. Uh, it's a Chrome extension. So it's really lightweight. You got to use it. It's just, it's just a no brainer track, track where your applications go, uh, track the resumes you're using. And, uh, I think that, that's why my, my, my resume advice on, on that. But I think the, yeah, does that cover resumes? I don't know if you want to get into like the actual job search or. Yeah, I think that's good for for the resume. So let's think about like really, yeah, applications, job searching, maybe actually some, especially do like in a situation when uh, you're a junior or yeah, just starting out, and there's just gazillion of people who are graduated from the same UX bootcamp and they have exactly yeah. the same portfolio and like zero resume, so to say. So how would you really stand out? Maybe some tips or life hacks how you would go around the system yeah uh hustle hustle get find find community slack channels so like in your in your area so like you know there's going to be tech startup uh slack channels get on those start doing so a lot of people when they think of their job search they think like in a linear process like okay i'm gonna apply these jobs and i might get a full-time job you need, I think, you need to think less linear and more kind of experimental and more. Okay, what gig work can I get? Can I get myself started on Upwork? Can I do some freelance stuff? Can I get involved in the startup community? Who can I talk to? Who's a co? Who, who can I talk to as a founder and just be like, and start doing cold calls, start reaching out to them. Um, really start thinking about your channels again. Imagine if you're a product, what are your marketing channels for that product? And so start. I mean, so of course, there's applying to you know, get you know. 
getting work, you know, you can be active on LinkedIn. You can apply to jobs on, you know, LinkedIn or Indeed or directly to the companies on the job boards, et cetera. But there's also that, again, like thinking more fractional, you know, reaching out and just getting work, getting experience in work, I think is, but that comes from building relationships that comes from hustling, that comes from go to those startup meetings, go be active on, again, Slack community locally, find ways to get some projects on your belt. Um, and, and so uh, it, it's really just getting work done. I think that that's really the biggest differentiator. Instead of just saying, I'm just going to keep applying to the same companies and hopefully after my hundredth time applying, they're going to notice my resume, um, get work, just get, get, do work. But, and, but at the same time, keep, you know, continue job search if, if you're looking for that full-time gig, but get out there and, 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 uh, you know, get some projects on your belt, have some freelance opportunities, even if they're not paying that well. It's just, it's it's the experience in the portfolio you're building right now. That's true. That's true. That's good advice. Uh, thinking about the layoffs phase of this market life cycle and the current times and what looks like will be a rough year, uh, 2023. Um, do you have any, I guess, special uh, advice in addition to that because i think hustle is like universal one uh, even before layoffs in like uh, two years ago it was like it was still something i was recommending to 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 folks that i, I was speaking to uh, as a strategy and um, i think it definitely especially when you don't have a lot of clout and a lot of uh, reputation so on like maybe uh, big names that you worked for and like big projects that you can show is definitely the way I would use to to kind of stand out from the crowd. Uh, so any maybe unique advice uh, for the job layoffs uh, phase that we're in? It's 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 a tough time. I I, I mean I, I think that hustle still is relevant anytime if you're a new grad. I think it's going to be a little harder. I think being resilient, practicing some like self care, understanding this is a lot more market driven than you driven. So I think there's that part of it. And so like understanding that, Hey, it's going to, it's going to be a tough year. I mean, it may be, I mean, um, and so I think that's going to be helpful is that resiliency, having that, you know, understand that piece of it. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I think the, uh, again, trying to do things in person, try to find ways you can interact with some humans. Uh, you know, and so again, if, if there are meetups happening, if there's socials happening in your local area, getting out there, meeting people, interacting, trying to help them out. You know, I mean, even if it's not a paid thing, if people are there, you know, they've got a bootstrap startup in their early stage, being like, hey, I'd love to just take a look at it and just give you some feedback and thoughts. You know, so you're kind of planting seeds later on because those people might know other people, but it's just engaging and being part of the community. And I think that's going to be. I think it's valuable information. I think it's valuable anytime, but I think it's even more so right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you touched a bit a bit on the networking and like in person and remote, like about the Slack groups and all the stuff, communities, and being active there and asking questions and responding and so on, which is which is great. And um, uh, I definitely agree. This should be one of the, uh, I guess, primary activities when you're looking for a job, especially at the beginning of your career. Uh, speaking of like LinkedIn and uh, maybe like any anything that you can you can any advice you can give on the how to structure a LinkedIn profile like uh, any tips that maybe a detractor 
when you see something in the LinkedIn profile or on, a, or on the opposite side, what could be really good and working as a, as a tactic? Yeah, um, having the ability to, again, as, as LinkedIn is a thing, LinkedIn is a channel for you. Uh, having the ability to showcase your work, make it easy. Make it easy for someone to contact you. Make it easy for someone to see your profile. Make it easy to showcase your work on there. Uh, I think that's why the, the the biggest thing people make mistake of is, is they don't have all their contact details on LinkedIn. They don't have their resume uploaded if they're job seeking. They don't have like open to work. Like some of the basics, like just imagine, again, you know, take yourself out of it. But if you're going to map out a process, and again, someone who's in, in UX should probably be pretty good at this. How does someone find you? How does someone contact you? Think of yourself like a product. Map out the journey. What does that journey look like for someone to get in touch with you? Do you, or do you use Calendly so then you can remove a friction point instead of me having to, if I do get in touch with somebody, and then all of a sudden I don't have to play back and forth for scheduling, make it easy for me. You know, make it as easy as possible. You know, again, just make yourself a product. Think of each, you know, map it out. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely UX design exercise i would say like yeah. it's like in a lean format it's thinking about like the those key tasks right like uh find the phone number uh schedule time uh find portfolio like all the all this kind of key uh actions that your target audience in this case recruiter or hiring manager or another designer yeah. uh would have to go through and then even like measure number of seconds it takes to, to complete this task, number of steps it takes to complete this task, and try to optimize it and minimize and reduce the friction as much as possible. Because yeah, finish, every second counts. To be honest, I mean, the best thing would be, if someone mapped that out, share it. That'd be, such a great pro- that'd be such a great project to share. Here's how I optimize finding me, and then map it all out, and, and show the research, and show those pieces. And I mean, that, that's, that's such, such an easy project to add to your portfolio and a creative one where you say, oh, hey, this person is actually like a, a really thoughtful thinker, uh, you know, and, and, and problem solver there. So I, I think those are things that I, I like to see. I mean, I think one of the challenges is, especially if you're in job seeking mode, is just to stare at LinkedIn all day. And so time box it, uh, get on there, be have an intention. And so that, you know, be like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to these people. I'm going to connect to people. I'm going to like a certain amount of, you know, content. I'm going to share some of content. But but put a window of time and have that as a schedule so you don't just end up there kind of doom scrolling all day, looking at layoffs and other news. Uh, yeah. You know, be, be, in, be intentional. Be intentional with your time on there. That's true. It's really easy to get uh, buried in all this endless feeds <laughs> and infinite it, scrolls. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of it. That's how they. That's why they designed it this way. Um, yeah, I was gonna say some 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 smart yeah some smart product designers really you know <laughs> they figured it out to keep yeah. you hooked in. Exactly, and yeah, psychologists and scientists, <laughs> uh, behavioral uh, yeah design. Could we could we touch a bit more on the uh, boot camps, UX boot camps, graduates, and if you hired any, and uh, what can they do to really to get in? Uh, and maybe what mistakes that you've seen, maybe some patterns specifically to, to those short-term courses and um, boot camps kind of programs, because industry has been seeing more and more graduates from these programs, and they're all, frankly, looking and feeling the same. So the standout question is really essential to get hired for them. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's great. And, and I have had, so one is I, I do love boot camps, and I love the quality of people they're, they're 
they're putting out. Now, a lot of people who enter boot camps also have unrelated experience, but it is actually very valuable unrelated experience, uh, which helps them typically, you know, they may be able to return their life or something else. And, uh, you know, and so I think the, the boot camps have uh, a huge value and, and place in, in the overall tech ecosystem. Now, my experience, so at Rectex, again, we're a small, scrappy bootstrap company, uh, especially when starting off with, we worked with different new grads, uh, working on different parts of our product, different stages. Uh, and one of the, the challenges we found was, so we'd hire people as kind of gig work project-based was, you know, people wanting to apply a heavier weight process than necessary for a small, scrappy startup, because they probably just had learned that in school. So you know, I was, I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, how do I how do I share this advice and, and what this looks like? And you know, I, I use an, a lot of analogies to think because it just helps me, you know, frame things in a certain way. It's kind of like if you graduate from you know like a culinary school and you learned how to make fantastic multi-course fine dining food and you knew how to you know do everything from scratch and and finding all organic materials and everything else and and there's there's a place for that and and obviously there's but there's also a, a time where people need to make burgers and, you know, and, and part of that is, is, and maybe I, we don't have time to bake our own buns, but where we can add value is, you know, helping us find the best buns possible, helping us get the best meat possible. So even though it's something simple, it's still high quality. And, and so like some of the experiences we had was, you know, again, early stage startup, you know, first time founders, not realizing the amount of des- design frameworks which existed you know, of online, let's say like like icon libraries and font libraries and other things. And so we found ourselves, we didn't realize that we didn't have to be artisanal in all these things and make these things. Ourselves. And so we wasted a bunch of time and money saying, oh, we need to design our own icons and do this. In reality, we just had to get, get a product out to market super quick, test it out, iterate, learn. And, and, so, the, and so I think it's one of the things. So if you are, find yourself as, you know, again, kind of just graduating and, and you may love that, you know, making that fine dining. Reality is, is not everyone has a time or budget for it, but there's a lot of value from helping them just make a really good burger, you know, figuring out what, what that looks like. And so, uh, so again, I, I think just understand where the company's at and meet the company where they are. And so again, obviously we're at one, one extreme at that, we're a different space now when we first started off with, you know, and then there's also, you know, the full end of the other stream where you have big, teams with big budgets and and they can really do those things when they have their own design frameworks they can really think through problems uh in in a way which is is you know because they're bigger problems they have bigger teams be more meaningful and such but there's a whole spectrum there so figure out where that organization is and how you add value as quickly as possible uh because you you may get a chance to do those things further down the road but they, they need to get through those early stages and they need to add value one of the things which just in a practicality standpoint, which I was a big fan of, is we worked with some designers who we'd almost do like pairs designing. And literally we'd be, you know, sometimes it'd be something just as simple as on a whiteboard, but other times we'd be there in a design tool. And, you know, we're there real time sketching stuff out, figuring out, you know, information flows, figuring out user behaviors and, and going through step by step what this looks like on the fly, giving real time feedback and making edits versus having a more waterfall you know here's what i took your information i went away i made these you know these wireframes or whatever that you know and and then presenting it and then going back and forth and and again some organizations maybe that makes a lot of sense but we got a ton of value just from that in the moment 
help us think this through. And it wasn't just a design process. It wasn't like, hey, help us make a beautiful design. It was just help us see this from a different set of eyes. Help us use, I mean, like really thinking about the user and how they're going to see this because um, you know, that, that's the value they bring, so to speak. Yeah, so. there's going to design, design gems and all the yeah. Um, yeah, working sessions definitely can bring a lot of interesting insights and open eyes, especially to the stake, for stake, stakeholders to this other side of this experience. So it's not like what they envisioned in their head, but also kind of really empathizing with the, with the users. And um, yeah, uh, it's super valuable. I agree. Yeah. So ho and hopefully I, my, 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 my uh, fine dining versus yeah, burgers, I loved it. burgers I loved analogy it. makes sense. So. I love the analogy. Now I feel hungry um, thinking about the, <laughs> the best fine dining burger I've ever had a while ago. But um, yeah, I, I love the analogy. Awesome. Okay. So this was an amazing um, summary and especially for relation to the UX bootcamps. Uh, we have lots of folks uh, coming, like graduating every day, so to say. Uh, from from those, and I agree, there is lots of value in going to boot bootcamp, especially for uh, those these uh, first steps and like introduction and really kind of getting to know the 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 tip of the iceberg, so to say, of the whole um, skill, the whole profession. And um, you are totally right, completely agree with you as, uh, uh, in relation to the career switchers, and uh, when people actually don't appreciate that the skills that they learned have learned in the previous career, uh, even if it seems irrelevant to them and maybe like not even tech related, uh, could bring so much more value than uh, another candidate who, who didn't have this, uh, who hadn't, ha hadn't had this experience. And customer service, you're totally right. Like, and I know this firsthand and I've, I've seen many great examples when junior candidates uh, with customer experience uh, in their background, uh, definitely can deal with with uh, people and uh, teamwork and uh, communication and uh, conflict resolution. So all this, uh, what seems to be like really cheap, cheap labor work, um, I I strongly believe it it uh, it helps people learn valuable skills um, and how to work with other people and talk to other people. And I think it's super important, especially for designers. So I agree, it's super valuable. Don't don't hide this. Don't don't be ashamed of this part of your journey. Okay, one last question. So, if money wasn't a question, what would you do? Yeah, it's. Uh, I I don't know, and I've thought about this a little bit. So, I, I want to keep learning. That that's probably where I'm uh, learning and solving problems, and I probably on the learning side, I'd like to learn more hands-on skills instead of just like. You know, say in front of a monitor. Like I'd love to learn how to weld. I'd love to learn how to say frame a house. I'd love to learn how to do things tangible and physical because you can. It's 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 neat being part of building again technical things and and slides and designs and solving those kind of problems. But I'd like to solve physical problems too. Uh, so I'd like to be in a space where I can learn how like learn some of those different skills, even if I'd never use them in a professional capacity, just to to know I could do those things would be pretty interesting. Uh, and, and then, and then travel. I mean, I think just, you know, having the ability to, to travel and again, again, I think just, you know, without the constraint of time and money being as, you know, hard. So I think that's one of the challenges when like travel is amazing and, and traveling with families is, is amazing and challenging on itself. But then we have that time and financial constraint. How long can I stay here? What can we do? What do you say no to? Uh, 
it'd be pretty cool. Find it. So learning, learning, traveling, hopefully solving some problems, helping other people if, uh, if money wasn't part of the equation. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, excellent. So let's wrap up. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out and uh, just chat or ask more questions, um, is there a way to, to find you? I'm pretty searchable on LinkedIn. That's probably the best channel to get in touch with me. Uh, so if they just Google Bradley Clark, uh, they'll, they'll find me pretty quick. And, they oh, know, and, and we're connected as well. So they can, they can double check. We'll see how it says. Because I know Bradley Clark is kind of a basic name. There's a few of us. So at least they'll know the right one to click is the one that we're connected. I'll include in the link in the notes uh, right. so they don't have to go make it easier for them. <laughs> for remove the friction. Sounds even better. <laughs> exactly. One click and uh, you're yep. there. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, Brad, for, for the time and for sharing all these lessons learned. And um, I love the analogy. I loved all the tips and hacks and like the job search strategy, especially for, for like during these times and for for less experienced folks. I completely agree with this. This is probably the way that I would go. Uh, about finding uh, finding a job right now if I were starting out. So definitely super valuable. Uh, lots of smart thoughts and uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I loved it. Uh, it's all, all stuff I love geeking out on and I hope you'll do reach out and uh, have to continue the conversation where I can help. 